Wherever you are in your adoption journey, we are a community centered around love, trust, and respect for the experience and opportunities that have made us families. We promise to share, encourage, support, and celebrate the day-to-day of adoptive mamahood together. I'm Liz. And I'm Sarah. And together, we are Two Adoptive Mamas. Welcome back to Two Adoptive Mamas. Today we are here with part two of our Hope with FASD recording featuring Adoptive Mama Natalie, who is the host of the FASD Hope podcast. In part one, we were able to learn about her family's journey through FASD, and today we'll dive into what it looks like to advocate for and thrive when FASD is part of your family's story. Natalie says it best, so let's dive right in. We hope you enjoy part two. One thing that we've talked about a lot at Two Adoptive Mamas is that phrase, hard is hard. And you've touched a lot upon um, a number of, you know, components of the daily walk, but also um, as you look to the future, you know, what is hard. But if you could just share right now, maybe even just today or this week, um, what's hard right now? So something that's actually very hard right now. And when you have a child that has um, a brain-based diagnosis is that you do a lot of grieving because there are a lot of things that he or she's not going to be able to do. And that's what the world focuses on. And that was one of the reasons why we started homeschooling. Um, So our son, you know, he'll be 19 and um, most of his friends are either in college or working. His best friend from, um, homeschooling who lives not too far from us. And they're actually a a family of both um, biological kids and kids who are adopted. And actually I'm friends with his best friend's mom and she was our FASD trainer, taught us about neurobehavioral parenting. So uh, her youngest biological son is one of my son's closest friends. And in a few weeks, he's going to be entering the military. And my son's biggest dream was to be in the military all as a little boy, as like maybe three or four, when he learned about soldiers and everything, even up through now, he still, still wants to go. And I've been crying over this and then just giving it to God, but this hard right now, one of, there's a lot of hards, but this hard is um, my son telling us, mom and dad, I want to go so bad in the military. Why can't I go? And, you know, he has a lot of accommodations and I, I, you know, we tell him, it's like, buddy, we can't accommodate the military, you know, we, we can't. And, and, you know, so we're giving him alternatives, you know, like auxiliary and, and volunteering and doing things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, he, he wants to be in the military. So when you have a child that has dreams and those dreams are not coming true, I think as a, as a, especially as a mama, I, I just want to take it and eat it so that he doesn't have to go through this, but he is. And um, I'm just praying just like I did when he was hospitalized, just like any other time, you know, 
So that's our hard right now. You know, the, the grieving when you have a, a, a kid who now is, you know, a young adult, um, the grieving doesn't stop. It changes, um, but it doesn't stop. So I have to say that to just be realistic about that. You know, people always say, oh, it's going to get so much better as they get older. Um, well, it gets better in a lot of ways, but then in some ways there's new things that you just didn't expect. So I think just be honest and know, you know, um, there's just going to be things like that that you're, you're going to grieve, you know. However, um, on the flip side of that, and our, our podcast really likes to focus on, there's hope, you know, for that grief, there's hope, you know, and, and, and we can help him, you know, with new dreams. It's going to be hard because he really wants those old dreams, but we can help him make new dreams. So. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And, you know, for our family's experience with FASD, um, our kiddos young. And so um, being able to think about that grieving process for myself um, as a mama now and what um, she's experiencing versus what she might experience and will experience growing up. Those are wise words that I need to take for myself and learn um, and be able to pray over moving forward in our own, in our own journey. So Natalie, earlier in your story, you referenced um, just how uh, with accommodations or even just parenting differently um, has to happen uh, for success and thriving with hope um, in a family with FASD. So can you just give one example of um, what, how that looks, um, how, you know, though we parent differently, uh, we don't want to isolate other parenting friends and um, just being able to kind of have some parenting differences while also connection points. So for example, I think one of the biggest things um, when you parent in a neurobehavioral sense, when you're parenting, focusing on um, the brain and how there are, you know, there's damage to the brain and how the brain works differently. Um, example I would say would be um, you really want to think about their developmental age. So, and a real life example that I can give um, would be, let's say you have a child who is 10 years old chronologically um, and you live in a lovely neighborhood and you have a cul-de-sac and all the neighborhood kids like to go bike riding or just playing outside. Um, however, your 10-year-old your child tends to wander off sometimes you know, because they're easily distracted or maybe they see something that interests them and they, they think, okay, I'm just going to go check that out. Um, and that child needs extra supervision. That child needs what we call an external brain to say, hey, don't leave the group, stay over here. Or, you know, hey, don't go riding off by yourself, stay over here. So the way you would accommodate that is if you have... A, a child who say, and again, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not like a teacher or trainer. I'm just talking from mama lived experience. You have a child who's 10 who wants to go out and go around with the neighborhood kids, but developmentally, you know that they wander off. He or she wanders off and you know that they're very impulsive or they, you know, do, they impulsively act on something. 
you're going to want either maybe a big brother or a big sister, you know, who, who is typically developing, who can be that external brain to say, okay, you know, I'm going to just keep an eye on, you know, keep an eye on the kids or I'm going to be with the kids or you yourself. What I used to do was I would just go outside with, and I would tell our son that I was just, you know what, I was just getting some fresh air and reading a book, you know, but I knew then I needed to keep my eye on him, you know, even if it was just, they were running around the cul-de-sac because I knew that he could wander off and he could maybe do something that wasn't safe. So that's an example of, of, of making, an, that's, and that's real. I could come up with better examples, but that's an example of making an accommodation where, okay, the kid wants to play with the neighborhood kids, no problem, but he or she developmentally is not ready to be alone for an hour or so, you know, unsupervised. So maybe you have big brother, or big sister, or you or something, just keeping an eye on them, making sure that, you know, because, and I, like I said, I, when, and I honestly thinking about that, I did a lot of accommodating along the way. And I think I just didn't realize that I did stuff like that when he was growing up before the diagnosis, I just didn't do it all the time. And I think that's where, you know, we get into, you know, the, the, the problem of, oh, they'll be fine. Well, maybe they're fine sometimes, but not all the time. So um, that would be an example, just thinking about their developmental age. And, and when we say developmental age, we don't just mean cognitively, we mean socially, we mean executive functioning, which is a big buzzword in our community, adaptive functioning, things like that. That was a great example, Natalie, and just really, um, I feel like tangible for our listeners and um, kind of touches upon like everyday things, right? Not some, you know, big um, idea that we might read about that. It's like, okay, how do, and so how do we incorporate that? So that was a great example. Thank you. Um, So kind of in that same vein, um, what do you feel like currently is missing from the FASD conversation, um, maybe, you know, interactions you've had with some of your listeners or just that you've heard in the FASD community, what, what have, what do you find important to bring to light and to talk about that maybe wasn't so much in the past? So, um, my husband and I started FASD Hope as a podcast and as a website and as a resource place for, parents, family members, but also for professionals, anyone who wants to learn about FASD. And our, our mission is three, three, three pronged. Um, first of all, and, and I say, uh, we're really a ministry. We're, we're, we, we're not doing this for money. We're not doing this for anything. We're doing this because we're on this journey and we want to serve the Lord through being and serving, being servants for those in the FASD community which includes those in the foster and adoptive community. So the first thing is awareness. We need to increase awareness about FASD, not just you know amongst each other, but in general. Dr. Philip May, UNC Chapel Hill, 2018, big research study about FASD. He researched first graders across the country, different states, different demographics, everything. He learned that it is estimated that one in 20 first graders have an FASD. So that is not just limited to our communities of foster and adoption. That's everywhere. 
So FASD is the leading cause of developmental disabilities in the United States and Canada, yet nobody talks about it. So people need to talk about it. And I think society as a general needs to know about that. And I'm praying that this is the year that happens. Um, However, in the meantime, we need to talk about it in, in our groups, on our podcast to different people. So awareness, number one. Number two, resources. The podcast that my husband and I are doing now, the podcast that you both are doing now is the podcast that I needed to hear like five, 10 years ago, you know? <laughs> and same thing with the books that I'm reading now. You know, the book, um, Liz, you and I were on uh, the launch. You know, that book I needed to read 10 years ago, you know? It, these are things that I'm reading now and I'm learning now. So I'm thankful that parents, you know, of youngers, of littles, have that information. So resources is the second thing. And then the third thing, and I think this is the biggest thing, is hope. You have to have hope on this journey. Our hope comes from the Lord. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We know that anyone who listens, we want them to have hope and we want them to have inspiration that they can continue on this journey. And um, what you hear with FASD is you hear very sad statistics. The average lifespan of someone that has an FASD is 34 years old. People hate hearing that statistic. It's research. It's in the FASD community. People, we, we still don't like talking about that study, but um, the average is estimated to be 34 years old. So I love it when I interview people who are older than 34 years old. I love it when I interview people who have FASD, who are in their 40s, who are in their 50s. That to me is victory. That to me is, is God's miracle. You know, that to me is glorifying God. That is saying, this person is not a statistic. This person is a miracle. So I want that conversation to be in our communities, that there's hope with this. Okay, yes, many people with FASDs that are not diagnosed and that are not accommodated and not properly cared and treated, yes, they can end up in jail. They can end up, you know, accidental death, suicide, things like that. However, when you make accommodations, when you know how the brain operates and when you're able to fully understand how FASD works, it's not a guarantee. There's no guarantees in life, but I can tell you there is an improvement in the quality of life and there is hope. And I think that's the biggest thing I want to share today is that there is hope. FASD does not mean that's it. That's the end. No, it doesn't. You, that was a really beautiful segue into my next question, Natalie. And so I, um, and I'm even going to just tweak it a little bit because you kind of articulated so much about how important it is with hope. Um, and so for someone who is a prospective adoptive or foster parent, and um, they either are looking at a fact sheet or a referral and it has that acronym FASD on there, um, or maybe they have accepted a placement and they're kind of walking that beginning journey, whether it's a teen um, or a little, um, how can, can you just elaborate on like this, this thriving with hope? concept and um, it can be scary and you know like as mamas we want what's best for our babies and so just unpack that a little bit more for us about navigating that and and what encouragement we can give um, to to mamas who might be early on in that journey so I have to tell you 
that I didn't always think like this. Um, I have to tell you that when our son was hospitalized and I was basically in a fetal position on the floor, just crying, praying in my war room, not knowing what to pray, but just praying. Um, I can tell you that at that moment when I was at my most broken was when the Lord put that dream of hope in me and that dream of you are on the shadow of my wings. Psalm 63 was my broken mama psalm. I love that psalm. And I would fall asleep just crying and saying that psalm. So I can tell you that it's a big mind shift because, you know, when we parent our kids that either have been in hard places like foster care or who have been adopted, who have experienced trauma by not being with their biological parents or that have a trauma that effect, was affected before birth, like FASD or any, any other type of thing, we have to parent differently. And parenting differently means that you're not parenting the way the world parents. You're parenting the way that Jesus sees our children. So when I made that realization, when I said, when, when I went to that training and when I like had the aha moment of, ah, okay, brain-based parenting and grace-based parenting really go hand in hand because I am seeing my child, I'm seeing my children, not just my son, but my daughter, I'm seeing them the way Jesus sees them. And like you said, there are no mistakes. God makes no mistakes. So with that in mind, then I had to shift all those years what I thought were quote unquote symptoms that our son was having, like the distractibility, everything. So all those years that I thought we were seeing behaviors from our son, you know, things like distractibility, interrupting, things like that, they were actually symptoms of the FASD. They were actually symptomatic, you know, behaviors caused from the FASD. So when I made that realization that what I was seeing was a symptom of something and he couldn't do something rather than he wouldn't do something, that changed my perspective. So I can tell you if you're considering adoption or if you're in those early stages or whatever, step back from your worldly parenting, step back from the way you were parented because a lot of us parent the way we were parented and that's not always good. Step back from the, those lens, you know, those lenses that you have on and put on the lens of looking at your child the way the Lord sees your child, looking at your teenager, looking at your young adult, the way Jesus sees him or her. And I can tell you when you do that, it's very humbling and it changes what you pray for because you pray that you can continue to parent them the way the Lord sees them and you will change. You will meet them more. You will compromise. You will meet them more. What you once thought was disrespectful, you learn is because there's a trigger or sense something sensory is going on. And when you put on that investigative kind of, you know, detective hat and really learn where symptoms are coming from, 
then you can accommodate. You can say, oh yeah, you know what? This family gathering, it's really a trigger for my child. So, you know, maybe we're just not going to go this year. Maybe we'll just zoom in, you know, well, COVID, everybody's zooming, but you know, or, or maybe we're just going to show up and say hi and leave, you know, you do things like that. So you stop parenting the way traditional worldly parenting is. And I believe you start parenting the way the Lord sees your child. I appreciate so much of what you just said, Natalie. And it was funny. I was thinking, um, so my husband and I over the summer completed our second home study process to domestically adopt again. Um, and you know, you get that list of things you're supposed to be comfortable with or not comfortable with, (laughs) um, preferences, I believe is how it's, it's, you know, phrased in the home study. And, FASD is on there. And, you know, there is conversation about it, you know, in the home study process. And, um, you know, we listen to some trainings or PowerPoints and whatnot, but I mean, just being able to engage in a conversation, and this is what I want our listeners to hear, um, whether you're thinking about the process or you're in it, or you feel lost in where you're, you currently are with your kiddos or with your family. There are moms who have gone before us. There are moms who wish they had a diagnosis 12 years ago or wish that they had access to the resources that we're a part of or the ones that we're following. And so you're not alone. And, um, you know, when you're looking at that list of preferences per se, I love what you said, Natalie, about adjusting our thinking and our prayers to parenting the way Jesus sees our kids, because it doesn't become then a list of preferences. It, it becomes what you feel called to and, and how Jesus has equipped you, um, you know, in your life so far and how he will continue to equip you um, to be the parent for that child should FASD be part of the equation. So thank you um, so much. So to kind of cap off our time together, Natalie, um, you know, like I just said, some of our listeners, FASD might be part of their current walk. Maybe it will be in the future um, or maybe they're in the midst of it. So if you could pass along one thing as an adoptive mom, um, both, you know, your experience with FASD and your typically developing um, daughter, what would that be? What do you want our listeners to hear? Um, I've been using this analogy uh, quite a bit lately. And I think it's a good analogy when we think about our kids, Um, whether they be typically developing special needs, adoption, foster care. We have been blessed by the Lord to be treasure finders. If you think about who the Lord used in the Bible for leading for, for leading, you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Lord used people that the world was not expecting. And I'm getting chills saying this because I'm thinking about our children. And the Lord is using my son, my daughter, your children, whoever's listening, your children, to teach us something and to teach the world something. It is our job. It is our not, it's not our job. It's our mission as parents. And, and we know that they're not our kids. They're the Lord's kids. We have just been blessed to be their mamas and their daddies while they're here on earth. 
It is our mission to find those treasures that are deep, deep inside that brokenness, deep, deep inside that whatever is with their, you know, with their diagnosis or anything like that. It is our mission to find that and to let that come out and to let that just thrive and to let that nurture and, and for us to nurture that gem. For our son, it was woodworking and, and coding. For our daughter, it was it's leadership and farming and, and art. And she, oh my goodness, art. And, and um, if it's for your children, it's, it's different things. And it's not just one gift. There are many gifts. But I honestly believe with all of my heart that when our child is born with something like an FASD or born from trauma or born in a hard place, that the Lord places this amazing gift in them that we just have to find. And we have to trust him and we have to pray. And again, we have to be the ones who are willing to make that change. And when you do, I can tell you that it's not always easy, but you're going to have these amazing, miraculous moments that you are just going to savor. And my husband and I use that phrase. We say that a lot. You need to savor those moments because there's a lot of hard, but then there are these beautiful moments that the Lord has given us that if we savor, those are like energy blessings that will just carry us through. A a beautiful way to end Natalie. And um, I think there's so much to unpack, digest, process and and pray through um, that we talked about tonight. So thank you uh, for your insights and your wisdom and um, for sharing your story um, with our listeners and with us tonight. Uh, We're so glad to have had you. Um, If you're listening, remember, you've got this mama. Thanks so much for listening. In this episode, we were able to connect with adoptive mom and FASD advocate Natalie for part two of Hope with FASD. What a gift to have this time with Natalie and learn about her story and what it means to have a child with FASD. She brings hope and light to this conversation. Interested in being part of the behind the scenes at Two Adoptive Mamas? Check out our Patreon to get exclusive content and resources. We can't wait to be back with you again soon. Until then, you've got this, mama.